This podcast is not legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances. Hi, and welcome to Smarter Lawcast with Hall and Wilcox. My name is Mark Dunphy, and I'm a partner in the Employment and Workplace Relations team at Hall and Wilcox. Today, I'm joined by my friend and partner, Faye Calderone, from our Employment and Workplace Relations team. And today, we're going to be discussing flexible work and return to office or return to work in the post-pandemic world. Now, Faye, they may say that you're a futurist, but having known you now for quite a while, I know you've been talking about the need for flexible work to become the new normal for years before the pandemic. I'm keen in why you have always thought it's so important and why it's going to be important moving forwards. Thanks, Mark. It's not quite the new normal we had in mind, um, but but certainly uh, COVID has provided a burning platform for change. Um, and I think what we need to do is, I suppose, take the best of what what COVID has given us in having, um, you know, all the naysayers and the people that were resistant to flexible working on board now um, and put the worst of it uh, with lockdowns behind us. Um, but look, to, to go back, the reason that I've been advocating for a while now for um, flexible work, probably over a decade, is that it's recognised as basically the structural foundation for healthy and inclusive workplaces. Um, we know the barriers um, women in particular face as, as the primary carers often um, in a return to work. We know that there's a low take up in um, you know, their, their progression. Um, where, there's a low take up in their return to work, but also progression once they've come back to work. There's pay gap increases, of course, um, when women are balancing um, family responsibilities. And um, it was recognised that um, that flexible working um, can, was, was a mechanism to remove some of those um, structural barriers and, and help women balance their responsibilities. But more to the point, and what we were talking about more recently before the pandemic, was that in order for um, there to be a, a greater equaliser um, in, in the workplace and for women to progress, that more men had to be taking up flexible work as well, um, because only then um, does the baseline um, become the same um, for both sexes. It means that, um, you know, there is a more shared responsibility at home, um, which means that their shared care means, um, you know, the ability to progress as well, you know, both both parents within, within a household. And, you know, the, the, the real issue was, I think, pre-pandemic, and I'm hoping um, the pandemic will sort this out or will at least reduce the stigma um, that men faced for taking flexible work because it was recognised and statistically proven that men were more likely to um, suffer adverse consequences in their career and progression for, for taking it, which is a real problem for everyone. Hmm. I think that's right. And yeah, things are being accelerated. Now, with regard to um, working from home, Faye, it used to be seen pre-pandemic, I guess, really as, as a privilege or an accommodation uh, that employers would provide to employees. But now we're starting to see a shift with regard to that and we're starting to see businesses make noises uh, about implementing no jab, no office policies. So you can, so it'll, to an extent, it'll be a privilege or an accommodation to enable you to come to the office interested in your thoughts on that yeah that it is it is fascinating fascinating isn't it and i think it is um 
quite interesting because like we said at the start, I mean, what we're experiencing at the moment is not normal. Having every member of the household under the same roof, including, you know, children and homeschooling is not normal. So um, what we envisaged and what we enjoyed pre-pandemic in terms of flexible work and the ability to have a day to catch up and retreat um, is not really what we're um, experiencing at the moment. Um, so yes, there is quite a bit of rhetoric about a race back to the office and there's quite a few jokes, I think, circulating about people escaping to the office to escape their families. But in all seriousness, I think this is going to be a very interesting um, and nuanced situation that we're going to see emerge because as we know, there's COVID circulating in the communities, the Delta is highly in, infectious and highly problematic and to the extent that we are all able to work from home um, and without disadvantage, I mean we've, we've been doing so particularly office workers we're talking about now for quite some time, um, it's a lawful and reasonable direction for an employer or workplace to issue to say in the interest of the health and safety and to protect um, people and our workers and visitors in the office, you need to be vaccinated to return to the office. And if you're not, then you're working from home, you're still being paid and you still um, you still have the benefit of, of work. So I think to the extent that the two things have intersected in that our ability to pivot um, to, to flexible working and provide income security and business continuity during, during the pandemic um, is equally the reason why it's lawful and reasonable and employers are able to issue this direction for people to stay at home as, as we have been. Um, but I think there is really uh, a desire to return to the office. And um, I think that the, the interesting thing will be how the dual workforce evolves over time because you know we've had always had people that worked flexibly because of carers responsibilities or because of disability or another you know reasons that of course they're entitled to ask for flexibility under the Fair Work Act but um, they have never been precluded from the office and so I think we're going to have um, you know sort of three categories of workers, um, or four actually, we'll have the people that go into the office all the time because that's what they want to do. That we'll have the hybrid workers um, by choice. We'll have the the people that work, you know, flexibly in accordance with formal work requests that you know are, are more difficult to change by by policy. And then we'll have this interesting um, exclusion of a portion of the workplace because they're unvaccinated. And I think it's going to take some management and, and leadership to to um, progress with a unified workplace and a you know positive workplace culture with managing all those um, differing situations and obligations. I can imagine Faye, it's going to throw up a myriad of legal issues in the employment law space when you have employees who in a white collar environment particularly who have been able to work well during the pandemic from home but then we'll have employers that insist that they get better productivity and a better result from their collective employers if they are together in the office mm -hmm. do you anticipate the being disciplinary and termination issues um, open to employers who have employees that refuse to get vaccinated and come back 
Look, I think it will be, I mean, it will always come back to the level of COVID that's circulating in the community and whether it's a lawful and reasonable direction in the first place. But assuming that it is, it really will be a question of whether or not um, that there can be that ongoing accommodation. Um, I think for office workers where they have been working flexibly, um, whether or termination of employment is the next logical step is going to be a, a, a difficult and an interesting situation. I mean, we're managing a lot of these at the moment, as you know, Mark, in our team with um, with clients, but clients that have got frontline workers, clients that are, you know, working with where, where you, there's public health orders and people are working with the vulnerable, or even in the absence of public health orders, you know, we can say, you know, if people are working with Indigenous populations at the moment, there's no public health order, but um, it's a lawful and reasonable direction. You need to be interfacing, you know, with, with those vulnerable clients in the community sector. And if you can't, if you can't do that, or if you refuse to, to be vaccinated, then and it's um, entirely reasonable. There's no way to accommodate that remotely, um, and therefore your um, it, it termination is the next logical step. In our industry, I think it's going to be interesting to see whether we can progress to a termination when people refuse to be vaccinated on the basis that it, up until now it's been convenient and um, you know, a, a appropriate for people to work from home during the pandemic. So why can't they continue to work from home? It'll be yeah. interesting, but I think some brave employers will take take it on and um, we'll probably get some guidance and good law as a result. Yeah. And you mentioned that the reasonableness of directions in that space, you know, can depend on many factors, including the amount of COVID circulating in the community at any point in time. So I gather then that in a direction to, re to return to work or a mandate to return to work might have a different impact in different geographic areas depend or different states depending upon where they're at in a COVID sense. That's right. It will go to to the reasonableness um, of, of the direction. I mean, it will be. It's not an unlawful direction to issue, but it will be a question of whether it's reasonable in those particular circumstances. I think the interesting thing we'll see play out maybe today or tomorrow. Um, you know, it's reasonable for uh, us to issue a direction in relation to the Sydney or Melbourne CBD, for example, but not necessarily. In, in Perth, you know, there's no COVID circulating in the community at the moment that we know of. The issue is going to be, um, however, and I know you and I have chatted about this, is um, when, you know, when borders do open and inevitably, eventually they will have to open. And, um, you know, we spoke at the start about burning platforms and the burning platform for, for change that um, COVID has created. And it's certainly at the same time, you can see that there's been a burning platform for vaccination in um, Sydney and Victoria. And so, whereas, you know, the vaccination rates in areas where COVID isn't circulating in the community are lagging behind. So, um, as borders open, um, it's reasonably foreseeable that, that COVID will um, enter those communities and that um, people will be less protected in those communities if the vaccination rates don't increase or accelerate very rapidly. So um, I think reasonableness of that direction, um, I, I think, is will eventually um, be appropriate across across jurisdictions, even if it isn't today. So one thing I've heard you talk about 
um, previously with great interest is the concept of proximity bias when we when there, there is the ability for people to come uh, to work. So by that, I'm assuming that you mean that those that the risk of those or the the opportunities for those working in the office or out of the office, as a case might may be, might be greater uh, than it might be for for others in the opposite camp. Interested in your thoughts on how that might play out and some of the legal issues that might get thrown up there. Yeah, look, it's a concept that that obviously is it's based on how people work. I mean, it's the human condition, and to some extent, you know, there there are people that are uh, creatures of habit, and they've always worked in the office, and this has really, you know, rocked them, destabilised them, but you know, in some cases, pleasantly surprised them. Um, but there will be many people that, that rush back to the office as they did after the previous lockdowns and um, old habits die hard. They will you know, be people that work in the office five days a week, even if there is hybrid um, working arrangements or the, the ability to work from home, they will choose to work from the office. It, the concept of proximity bias is basically having a, um, a bias towards or increased tendency to work with those that are closest to you. And now we're not going to say that someone that's working in the office will necessarily consciously say, you have to be in the office in order to get a pay rise, or you have to be in the office in order to get a promotion. Um, we know that that would be particularly in circumstances where there are formal flexible work arrangements based on discriminatory grounds, it would be discrimination. Of course, there would um, there are policies that most or many employers have adopted that say, you know, we encourage flexible working and hybrid working arrangements. So that would be anti-policy. But the issue is is more about the creep and the unconscious issues that, that develop, where if you are constantly giving people work that are sitting around you, um, when it does come to pay and progression, is it not a risk that though they are the people that have um, had the highest levels of productivity, the highest successes in their careers and therefore um, in that year and therefore it is um, a natural consequence that they are the ones that will have higher pay increases and, and, and progress more rapidly. So I think it's a real issue that we need to consciously navigate and I think we need to be very deliberate in the choices that we make in how we um, distribute work and how we manage hybrid teams, but also to have some HR people, independent people during remuneration, you know, um, discussions or, or, or promotion discussions that are really stress testing some of these concepts to make sure that we don't create a dual workplace where, you, where those that are working from home are um, if inevitably disadvantaged because of the consequences throughout the year. Yeah, I think personally, I think there's going to be a lot to play out in that space. And I think that managers and those allocating work, uh, again, particularly in a white collar um, environment, are going to have to be very, very conscious of those that are around them and even more particularly those that are not around them. So mm -hmm. that'll, again, there'll be some behaviours I think that need to change. Absolutely. Faye, the, the Fair Work Act for many years now has had um, provision for flexible work requests. And now that many, many workplaces are implementing hybrid um, working 
policies themselves. I'm interested in your view about whether the legislation still has work to do for those in, in those workplaces. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Look, there's probably less work to do than it, than it had to do before. Um, but as you know, I mean, it's broader than just remote working or work the ability to work from home. It applies, applies to flexible hours, flexible start and finish times, part-time arrangements. So those things currently aren't you know, contemplated necessarily in flexible working or hybrid policies. It's more about where people work rather than the pattern and hours of work, although there are some, you know, consequences there in terms of flexibility. Um, but I, I do think there are also many workplaces that are, and, and, and many uh, managers that are keen to get back to work. And, you know, once the you know, opportunity that, that flexible working currently provides in terms of business continuity, you know, subsides and people are able to return to the office, they, they will insist people return to the office and not everyone is implementing these hybrid working arrangements. So there will still be work um, in terms of, you know, th those arrangements, those um, requests that employees that, you know, have carers responsibilities or that have health conditions or that otherwise meet those criteria, including, you know, being over 55, um, you know, those people can still make those requests formally. Of course, the Fair Work Act only prescribes a process. It doesn't necessarily um, mandate or require employers to offer flexible work. It simply has, uh, requires them to provide reasons why they say it's unreasonable in all the circumstances. But I do think this is going to be a very interesting thing to play out um, because the secondary, obviously, legal risk is um, discrimination. So if someone, for example, makes a request for flexible working and they say, they have um, a particular medical condition that requires them to work from home. It's a question of whether or not it's a reasonable adjustment that the employer can make and that reasonable adjustment um, should impose an unjustifiable hardship on the employer. It's going to be very difficult, I think, for employers to argue um, that when we return to work, uh, someone that has been working flexibly all this time, productively, efficiently, um, otherwise hitting their mark, um, it's going to be very difficult to argue that those people cannot be accommodated and that these adjustments aren't reasonable um, in, in the future. So I think, again, we might see some cases playing out there. And Faye, mainly, uh, maybe finally, um, I'd like to make an observation and interested in your thoughts on it. And that is that from clients that I uh, speak to, and there's you know dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, over the course of um, of a year, um, I would make the observation that those who take a more rigid view to hybrid working and are more demanding on getting people back into the office that they would seem to be to represent a disproportionate number of the claims that I have from employers and those that demonstrate more flexible, uh, flexibility and are more willing to embrace a hybrid model seem to have happier workforce and thus less claims. Do you, see, do you think that's a valid observation and do you see the same things Absolutely. with your clients? Absolutely, and it's it was one of the platforms um, for for advocating for flexible work to start off with. It's that the next generation wants autonomy. We know high performance teams work best where um, in, in environments that are less autocratic, that are more you know decentralised um, leadership and um, 
and you know working arrangements that that provide people with you know structures in terms of you know what their expectation what expectations are what outputs are but otherwise autonomy about how how they deliver and when they deliver and you know provided that they hit hit their objectives and their KPIs um, that high performance teams actually deliver better results in those circumstances and I think you know that the, the, the flip side to that is the more we control the more rigid we are the more we clock watch on our employees um, the more they're likely to do the same with us I mean if you you know sort of watching the clock and telling people that they're 10 minutes it's just at the most basic level they're 10 minutes late to work and you're tapping tapping the watch and going well you know how are you going to make up for this they're, they're not going to put in the extra 20 minutes on the other side they're only give you the extra 10 it's just if you look at it at the most basic level like that I think that is you know the human condition that we we see playing out um, you know we we need to enable and empower people to thrive um, otherwise you know we, we won't get the best out of them and unfortunately you and I Mark um, tend to see things at their worst not at their best so if people are talking to you it's not it's not when 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 everything's humming along beautifully sadly um, unless they're just having a beer with you at the pub on the weekend <laughs> um. Well, that's completely consistent with what I see, Faye, but it doesn't, it still never ceases to surprise me the extent to which many employers still don't see that embracing um, hybrid and flexible working has real tangible benefits for them as a business. Mm. Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, terrific. Well, look, I want to thank everybody for listening to today's episode. Uh, flexible work and return to work is certainly a really hot topic and we're going to be um, seeing a lot more happening uh, in this space and there's going to be a lot of jurisprudence um, evolve as, as the return to work gains momentum in Australia. I want to really thank Faye for being so generous with her time. Faye is, uh, has done a lot of um, thought leadership over time um, in this space and I encourage um, any of you to to follow her on social media and you'll see she regularly has commentary um, in this space. Um, otherwise, if you have any questions, please contact a member of our Employment and Workplace Relations team. You'll find our details on our website, paulandwilcox.com.au or you can connect with us on LinkedIn. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review and follow our podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts you can subscribe to our website to be notified of new episodes. Thanks for listening.